How many of us know, realize, and fully admit that we are foodies? You know what a foodie is? A foodie is someone that doesn't just eat food because they're hungry. A foodie is someone that loves food because it's yummy. A foodie is someone that doesn't get excited about the rides at the amusement park, but someone that looks forward to the concession stand at the amusement park. There's a certain degree that all of us are foodies, that yes, God has designed us to have an appetite for food for nourishment's sake, for sustenance sake. But if food was just about function, then why all the taste buds on our tongue? If food was just about function, then why do Cinnabons taste so good? No, food is more than function. We know this. Food does much more than just give us physical strength. Some of us, it gives us emotional comfort, right? They literally call it comfort food. Food creates community. Food creates excitement. Food inspires creativity. Food impacts health. Food is not just physical. Food is emotional, and food makes memories. How many times... Do our traditions, our holidays, revolve around what's on the table? Even at announcing the Fall Fest, you were all very excited about what's on the menu. This is by design, that we are a people designed to partake of food, and it creates memories. So in our household, of course, we love to eat, we love to have food and big meals, but we also have some interesting traditions that revolve around food. And Durkins, the Durkin family, we don't claim to be that sophisticated. So before we dive into the story of Daniel, as he's deported from Jerusalem to the capital of Babylon in Shinar, and we hear about Nebuchadnezzar's castle, I want to tell you a little story about a different castle, not in Shinar, but in South Jersey, none other than White Castle. How many have ever been at White Castle before? So we have a tradition, it's really a rite of passage, it's really a sacred rite in the Durkin household, that when a man comes of age, he journeys with his father <laughs> up to that hill and has a demonstration of strength and endurance. It's basically a question of how many small little White Castle's burgers you could stuff in your mouth. We have an eating competition. My dad did it before me. My uncle did it before him. So what we do is we sit down, and I'm always a little nervous to go to White Castle because they say it's hamburger, but I'm pretty sure it's not. <laughs> but they're, they're tasty little hamburgers about that big, and you really can eat them in two bites. So they go down very easy. But while they go down very easy, they don't adjust to your belly very easy, right? So what happened was, I've heard about the legends of White Castle with my dad and his uncle and all this stuff, so I was ready. We sit down and we have one hamburger, no problem. In fact, two, three, four, five hamburgers go down easy. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten hamburgers. Of course, we're acting tough, but as much as we're throwing down these hamburgers, we're starting to feel all the cholesterol cholesterol solidify in our legs, and we literally can't even get out of the seat anymore. So much so that we start to feel not only our bellies being full, 
but we start to feel sick. It affects us physically. But did that stop us from eating more? 11. 12. True story. 13. 14. 15 White Castle hamburgers at one sitting. I don't know if it's a record, but I kind of want to find out. We were very proud of ourselves for about 30 seconds. And then we were very, very ashamed for about the next two weeks. Because what we ate in two hours took two weeks to get through our system. How many of us know and have heard the simple phrase, you are what you eat? We've heard this before, right? What you're going to see in this passage is that, yes, there's food involved. And yes, it talks about Daniel's diet. But before it's about Daniel's diet and before it's about losing weight and before it's about healthy living, yes, it is true, you are what you eat, but the message of Christianity is that you are what you worship. You are what you worship, meaning you become what you behold. That our intake of food in the scriptures is used as an analogy to remind us that we're not just physical beings. We're emotional beings, mental beings, spiritual beings, all integrated and designed by God. One impacts the other. But yes, while we think that vegetables, as we're going to hear, is healthy living, and it is, this is less about vegetables, less about Daniel's diet, and more about his spiritual appetite, his avoidance of defilement and his passion to fill his soul only with what will glorify his God. Let's look at Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, shall we? Let's go back from White Castle to Nebuchadnezzar's castle. Hopefully never to return again. Amen. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him to not defile himself. Let's stop right there. If you missed last week's teaching, you're going to remember the context. Before Daniel was a prophet, Daniel was a POW, a prisoner of war. Daniel was taken from his land, a land given by God. And he saw his king dethroned, a king that was promised by God that someone from his lineage would never cease to be in power. And not only was his city besieged, not only was his king dethroned, but his people, his friends, were deported into a foreign land. And then once they get there, the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar, they take the best of the best, and then they begin the assimilation process. It's a step where you wouldn't think it imaginable But they turn their enemies into their friends. What happens is Nebuchadnezzar, who was the tyrant, becomes Nebuchadnezzar, who is the ally. And they do it first by separating them. They separated Daniel and his three friends from their home, from God's law, and from any allegiance to God's law. Separate, number one. Number two was indoctrinate. They are being instructed. They are being taught in the Chaldean, in the Babylonian culture, the language, the thinking. The third step was confusion. What was happening? Nebuchadnezzar was giving them everything that they wanted. They were having delicious food. They were eating in the king's palace. Most of us would think, most of us would believe 
that life is better in Babylon than it was in Israel. And then the cap, the capstone, the final step to change not only their thinking but their identity is that their Hebrew names were replaced with Babylonian names, pagan names that don't give glory to Yahweh, but no speak of the goodness of these other idols. And that's why when we come to verse 8, yes, this could be Daniel refusing to defile himself because of the kind of food. There are dietary restrictions in the Old Testament. It could be the use of food. The use of food, maybe the food was sacrificed to idols, which they were forbidden to partake of. But I don't think it was just the kind of food. I don't think it was just the use of food. I think it was Daniel willing, resolved to not partake because of what the food represented, because of whose food it was. And that's why even this young man, 17, 18 years old, is going to be put in a very difficult situation. And he's going to be an example, not only for the other young people in this room this morning, but for people of all ages, that even though it was God's sovereign will, remember that shocking truth from last week? God's sovereign will that he would allow an enemy to come and besiege his city and deport his people because of generations and hundreds of years of rebellion and sin and unrepentant lifestyle. God allowed it to happen. God is sovereign over it. And now it would seem here, God has not forgotten his people. Listen, the good news is that God's discipline is not a dead end. That God uses discipline for our good. We're all children. Some of us are parents. Is a parent loving if they never discipline their kids? No. Is a parent really being a friend if the only thing the parent does is treat the kids as a friend? No, the Bible says over and over again that our God is a good father, a father who because he loves his children, he disciplines his children. And this passage is so encouraging because it's going to remind us that even though God is disciplining his people and they're not in their comfort zone, they're not where they should be, it's less about their geography and it's more about their spirituality. It's less about their problems and more about their Savior. What we're going to see here in this passage is that God's going to show his favor to Daniel in a supernatural way. But listen, it's a helpful reminder for us that while these men lived in Babylon, it doesn't mean that they have to live like the Babylonians. Let's look at verse 9. And God gave. That's one of the three times this chapter says God gives. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So would you endanger my head with the king? Let's stop right there. So David is serving in the palace. And it would seem that this group of people, eunuchs, are in charge of the food, right? And he is engaging with the chief eunuch. We learned his name earlier, Ashpenaz. 
Now, when you hear the word eunuch, not many people know what that means nowadays. In fact, it was an ancient Near East practice. It was a practice that happened um, in that time and season when you would take a slave and a servant and to make them not only impotent, but to make them passive and docile, you would castrate them. Awful, right? So this has to be like the worst title ever. This guy's the chief of the eunuchs. <laughs> worst job ever. Now, what they would do is they would do that. It's awful. It's, it's horrific. It's violent. It's despicable. They would do it not only to make them impotent. They would also do it to make them docile. So what you're going to see is you're going to see a contrast between this man who has incredible influence in the, pas- in the palace, but in the end is passive and docile, and then Daniel. But they're presented with a crisis. How many of us have been in a crisis before? How many of us might be in a crisis now? What do you think is true? I'm going to give you three options. Do you think crisis creates us, crisis changes us, or crisis reveals who we are? To a certain degree, I think it's yes. All of it. Crisis can create us. Crisis can change us. Crisis can reveal who we are. But while it could be one of those three three things or all three of those things, Here's what I do know and do believe. Crisis reveals what you believe. Crisis reveals what you believe. In this situation, Daniel and Ashpenaz are given two options, and neither of them look good. Option number one, Daniel defiles himself and he denies his God. Not good. Option number two, Ashpenaz gets in trouble with his boss. And he's not just worried about being castrated now. He's worried about being decapitated now. Not a good option. Is there a third option here? By the way, this third option applies not just to Daniel thousands of years ago, but to perhaps what crisis you're in. I believe there's always a third option. The first option is defilement. The second option is death. The third option is as simple as this, God. You see, what we tend to do as Christians, right, is we come into our church buildings, we do our religious duty, we sing our songs, we study the Bible, we nod our heads, and we say yes and amen. And then crisis comes, and it's as if God doesn't exist, and Jesus is still dead. We're not atheists outright, but we are acting almost as if we're practical atheists in how we handle our conflict and deal with our crises. Daniel believes there's a third option. Why? Because we just heard about it in Ephesians chapter 3. Our God is able to do immeasurably more. The other option is God, to step out in faith and to know, yes, that there might be consequences. Before, or I'm sorry, after we study food, there will be a fiery furnace. This isn't going to be the solution to all your problems, but it is going to reveal this simple truth. God is with them, even in their banishment. God is with them, even though they're not in the promised land. God is with them, even though they are being assimilated into a pagan, foreign culture. God is intimately active, even in their diet. That's good news. So here's the third option. 
God leads Daniel to come up with another idea. I'm going to read a good chunk of Scripture. Let's read from verse 11 to verse 16. All eyes on Scripture. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, verse 12, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let your appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. Verse 14. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it would seem that they were in better appearance. And then take note of this, fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Let's take a break right there. What's going on? Has anyone ever heard of the Daniel Diets, this book, this movement campaign that's come out? There's been some people that will say, all right, well, Daniel chapter one was written so that you could, as a believer, have healthier living. And this is God's plan, that you go on a fast and you only drink water and eat vegetables. Now, that might be a good thing. Might be a good idea. Might be a good fast. Is that what's going on here? What do we see here? If Daniel's diet was really about losing weight, we just heard that they ate nothing but vegetables, and they'll do that for three years, and they actually got fatter. This is a supernatural act of God's favor. Doing something, and I love veggies, doing something that vegetables can't and don't do. They stepped out in faith, and God granted them favor. So you see that this is less about avoiding meats, less about avoiding other kinds of food, but more about avoiding defilement, more about understanding the freedom in holiness. I like how one author put it, A.W. Pink. He said that holiness leads to harmony. Listen, holiness consists of that internal change or renovation of our souls, whereby our minds, actions, and wills are brought into harmony with God. If we believe God is good, and we believe we were designed by that God to find our rest, to find our hope, to find our strength in Him, then yes, we want to live in harmony with Him. That's what holiness is. Now, I have to be careful here. For those of us that are new to the Bible and new to the gospel, this isn't a message of do better and try harder. No, man-made, man-centered religions say do better, do more. The gospel says, Jesus Christ says, already done. The good news of our faith is that we, in our sin, could not save ourselves. The good news of our faith is not a demonstration of what we can do for God. No, it's a declaration of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. That he saves those who could not save themselves. That he redeems the irredeemable. He loves the unlovable. He has love and value on you in a way that no other person can or does. But many of us, we choose to live by our own strength, and live according to our own righteousness. And we wonder why we get discouraged. 
We wonder why, yeah, we're capable of doing good, but man, we can't stop ourselves from doing bad. And that's the message, isn't it? I mean, really, if our good works could save ourselves, then that means I'm the Savior. And no one can really tell you how good is good enough. No, the good news is that Christ was good enough. Christ is good enough. And Christ will always be good enough. And that's where our motivation for holiness comes from. What we see here in this passage is that Daniel was so enthralled by his God that he stepped out in faith and vowed to only eat vegetables. This is my kid's worst nightmare, by the way. An all-vegetable diet for three years. And not only, we're going to see, did the Lord make them stronger, but he also made them smarter and more efficient. Let's look at verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them, once again, God gave, I want you to take note of that, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And, and the king spoke with them, and among them was none like found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. That is a dramatic statement. Verse 20. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. You see what our God did is that they went on a vegetable diet. God made them fatter. They went on a vegetable diet and God made them smarter. They stepped out in faith, experienced the favor of God, and God made them more efficient. These guys that were only drinking water and eating veggies were able to do the work of many other enchanters and magicians. And this thread will play itself out through Daniel. In the literal Hebrew, when it says 10 times, it actually means 10 hands better. So these men had two hands. They were able to do the work of five other enchanters and magicians. You would never, ever guess that this kind of decision would end up with this kind of results. You see, what happens when we trust God in crisis is that he surprises us when we are willing to trust him. You would have never guessed between the choices of defilement and death that here they are standing before the king and they are more influential and more effective than everyone else. So much so that that last verse is very, very important. What did it say? It's an editorial note. It's almost like the Bible is winking at you. It says, and Daniel was there until the first, first year of King Cyrus. Who's the king right now? Nebuchadnezzar. It's as if the Bible is saying Daniel outlast that dude, that God gives him strength so much so that he, in fact, endures four of these violent emperors. Isn't that good news? The Bible is saying it's almost spoiler alert. Daniel's going to make it through the diet thing, okay. Daniel's going to make it through the lion's den, okay. His friends are going to make it through the fiery furnace, okay. They're going to make it all the way to the reign of King Cyrus. 
God's going to protect them and persevere them. Now we know, I have to give this clarification. Sometimes when we step out in faith, the consequence, the cost, is drastic. But even when we might lose some of our comforts, even when the cost is high, to seek God at work and to know that we're not alone in this big, dark universe gives you hope for any crisis you might face in the future. So much so that one scholar points out that these four men so impacted not only Nebuchadnezzar, as you'll see, not only the following kings, but the culture They were trying to be assimilated by the Babylonian culture that God used them to change the culture so much so that centuries later, tell me if you know this one, magi from the east, astrologers who were looking for a king would come to Jerusalem. Instead of Babylonians coming and invading Jerusalem and dethroning Jehoiakim, Judah's king. No, these astrologers come looking for a king, not to dethrone one, but to inaugurate one. You just heard three times in one chapter, the Lord gave, the Lord gave, our God gave. John 3.16 says this, for God loved the world so much, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever lives, whoever believes in him, shall not perish but have everlasting life. The application is pretty straightforward, it would seem. That God used Daniel's diet to avoid defilement, but in the end, we need to understand that our spiritual diet is just as important as our physical diet. So what are we feasting upon, church? What are we allowing our minds to be filled with? The psalmist says this in Psalm 34, 8, gives this invitation Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. We could have a wonderful physical diet, but our spiritual diet might be just nothing but junk food and cotton candy. What is the Lord inviting you, if not commanding you, to put down and to pick up? Believe it or not, we believe that the word of God, as Jesus said, is what we live on. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of our Father. But he also said this of himself, and I'll close with this, that Jesus himself is the bread of life. And in Christ, we find our true soul's salvation and our true soul's satisfaction. How can we feast more upon the goodness of God in Jesus Christ this week? John chapter 6 says this, For the bread of God is the bread of God that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, some of you have seen me and still do not believe. Jesus says this, All those who the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Some of us, we need to come back to Jesus because we've been trying to fill this gaping hole in our hearts, trying to fill this insatiable appetite in our souls with everything else but him. Whoever believes that he's the bread of life, 
will find true strength, true salvation, and true sustenance. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray and we ask, God, that you would speak through your word and grant us faith. Lord, there are fast food restaurants on every corner. There's Burger Kings and White Castles. But Lord, this message is not just about our physical diet. This is about what we fill our souls with. This is about a commitment, a resolve like Daniel to focus on Christ and to be willing to be different than the world, to be distinct from the world, to step out in moments of crisis and believe that you will provide a third way, a way that reveals your intimacy, your proximity, and your power. Close that community church in a spirit of prayer. I'm going to invite you to please rise. Let's stand to our feet, shall we?